have life by the Spirit, and we've been looking at, over the last few weeks, we started off looking at our vision, our purpose, which is to know God and make Him known, so basically the great commandment and the great commission. Uh, And then the last few weeks, we've been looking at different parts of our culture, understanding that um, what uh, what we believe in... Sorry, informs our values and what we value shapes our culture or how we live. And if we to live truly according to God's way and his word, then those things are rooted and founded in what we believe. And so it's important for us to go through those things. We saw, we looked at the truth, looking at the truth, the word of God, that we build our lives on that, not uh, compromising in any way, not adjusting that according to culture, but actually living firmly in the truth. And then we also looked at um, building and developing a lifestyle and a culture of evangelism, uh, witnessing and planting churches. And that ties in with that whole thing of making God known. And that kind of encompasses everything that we are and everything that we do and are called to do. So this morning we're looking at uh, a culture of generosity. And I know as soon as you, uh, in church contexts, say generosity, most people jump to finance, which it does include, but it's so much bigger than that. And so I want to start by looking at the very beginning, and we look at God. God created, in Genesis chapter 1, we see that God created the world in incredible abundance with potential and resources, and there was more than enough. And he created man and he puts man into the garden and actually instructs man to enjoy that creation and to extend and to expand and to almost carry it on to other areas of the world. So we see that in Psalm 36 verse 5 and 6 speaks about that creation is an expression of God's generous love. And so when we look at generosity, we need to go straight back to the source who is God. And we see at the beginning he does this. And humanity uh, is to spread that goodness. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 28, is God's instruction to them to increase, multiply, subdue the earth, and fill it. It's a bit like, someone put it this way, it's a bit like going to a party where the host has been incredibly generous. Ever, ever been to something like that? You kind of, it's, it's, so let's not pretend that you are the host. Because if you host anything, there's nothing calm about that at all. You're always wanting to make sure that there's enough. But we're not the creator. It's like God's the creator and he's, in, he's created this incredible lavish party that he's invited us all to. And there's abundance. We don't have to worry that will this run out or won't that run out. We are there to enjoy the host and to enjoy what he's given That's what creation is. A super generous host who is God with absolutely nothing lacking. And we have access to him and to everything in that. And he also says to us for us to enjoy it. And to bring others in and let them enjoy that. But really, that's not how it carried on. In one respect. We see that in Genesis, it speaks about using the analogy of the, of the snake, representing Satan, comes and he starts to undermine God to Eve. 
starts to undermine the generosity of God and poses the question. Remember, when God has said to them they can eat of everything, they can enjoy the whole of his abundant creation. And the serpent says to Eve, did God tell you you can't eat from any tree? Just pops a question in, which then starts that process through suggestion to get her thinking. And she, of of course, answers and says, no, not everything, but just this one. And now suddenly her mind is on that. You know, in a situation where someone says, no, don't think about that. And that's all you can think about. That's pretty much what happened here. God's created, created them and put them in the garden. And Satan, through his manipulation of the truth and undermining God and showing that, according to him, that God's withholding something, suddenly that one thing, out of the whole of creation, that one thing becomes her focus. And what she questions falls into his trap, which is this thinking that God is withholding something. I can't have that. And so man falls for it, takes it in, and sin enters the world. And now every single act of humanity is tainted with sin. If we're looking at generosity today, which is about giving, and even that next act of her sharing with Adam is completely tainted with sin. And everything since then. And the result is that in the mindset of man, sin enters in this thinking of God is withholding. God can't be trusted. I need to take matters into my own hands. And that's what we see starting to play out for the rest of humanity. And it leads to that human desire of taking, hoarding, holding, and abuse which we just see time and time again. And it creates creates chaos in this incredible world. You see, when we take, like Eve did, that which did not belong to her, the one thing they weren't allowed to do, the one, out of everything, the one, that now becomes the sin that is in each one of us. And once we have that mindset of not trusting God, God's withholding, I need to take things into my own hands, we can then justify pretty much anything about me, mine, looking after, envy, strife, holding on to, providing for, everything is tainted with that sin. Why? Because we've believed that lie. And then what we see is this world where everything was enough. Man's perception, because we need to remember it's man's perception, is that it's not enough. And if you use the analogy I used earlier of of like a party, the party now becomes a battleground. Where sin enters and the fallen state of man and the mindset that that creates there's just this corruption. And in actual fact, what we see is, as fallen humans, we don't know what to do with abundance. We don't know what to do with it. Because God's abundance is still there. 
And then we look around at the world and we see, well, actually, it doesn't look like there's enough. Life's a struggle. There doesn't seem to be enough around. That's exactly the, the world that Jesus grew up in. Jesus grew up in a world that there was lack, there was strife. He was living and grew up in military-occupied territory. The Romans had invaded. They were in control. That's the environment he looked, lived in. There was taxes. There was abuse. There was all sorts of stuff. Yet in the middle of all of that, we read that Jesus says things like this. Do you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12? From verse 22, Jesus says this. He tells his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies of the valley grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after such things, and your father knows exactly what you need. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, my little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So in the midst of this world where there is, looks like there's lack and conflict and everything else, Jesus says words like, don't worry. Think about the flowers. Consider and ponder the birds. And so you read that and you think, is Jesus naive? Is Jesus irresponsible? No wonder you sometimes see pictures where people incorrectly portray Jesus like some hippie because you read that and you think, that's just like a hippie. Remember the flowers and the fields. And... But none of that's true. You see, Jesus could say that in the middle of the, of the, the world that he grew up in in the same way that he says it to you and I today. Because he views the world differently. He experienced everything that we have, but he saw and experienced and believes, like we should, that God was and is still abundantly generous as a host, as the creator of all. An actual fact that everything about creation and the abundance of God's creation is still there for us today. You see, the problem isn't actually about a lack of resources. 
The problem is a sin issue in our hearts that say, God, we can't trust you. We see that after man sinned and messed up, and that became the mess that it's in, we view things in that way. Yet God still wants us to experience his generosity. God still wants us to live in that place of relationship with a generous God. Jesus came. See, God still wants us to live in that. And so God chose, when he spoke to, to humanity, God chose the man Abraham. He speaks to Abraham and calls Abraham this one man that through him everybody would receive and respond and experience his generous love. And that through, uh, and through Abraham and then the one nation of Israel, that God gave them abundantly everything that he had. And he, they just needed to trust in him. And this generosity of God would be seen through them for the world. You see, sometimes, it's just a side tangent, we can often worry, like, how come God chose the one? How, what about them? God chooses anybody specific so that he would be displayed and use that person as a, as a route to which he can show his goodness to everybody. God chose Abraham so that everybody would be blessed. God chooses the nation of Israel so that it's a picture so that we would all come to that place of living in the generous uh, provision of God. But what does Israel do? You see, God creates, when we read in Genesis chapter 13, that he chose them. But then God also creates and sends them into the promised land where there's abundance. And what do they do? They go into the abundance of God. Then they kind of forget that God gave it to them. They think it's their own. They hold on to it. They hoard it. They fight and bring destruction again. So you see, God creates man, puts him in the garden of abundance. God messes it up. I mean, man messes it up. God then chooses through Abraham and Israel to do the same thing, brings them to the promised land, gives it to them. They forget who gave it to them. It's now theirs. Man doesn't know what to do with abundance, holds on to it, fights, all that kind of stuff, messes it up completely. To me, if I was the host, I would say, okay, that's it, party's over. But God doesn't. God then decides that actually he's not going to give up. He's going to give another opportunity. He brings another gift. And this is the most generous gift. The gift of his son. God himself comes. Jesus comes as the most generous gift. He himself comes to live in this mess. To show people who he is. And that's how, where Jesus comes in. And Jesus lives in this understanding that his father is the one who creates everything and there's abundance. And God gives himself to come. And Jesus lives with that conviction that there is enough. That there is enough. That God can be trusted. You see, that's why when he says, consider the birds of the field. You see, we look outside and we just think the birds are flying around, the birds are eating bugs and everything else. Jesus' understanding is this, is that they're flying around and eating because God has given it to them. The flowers in the fields, God has given it to them. God's created that. Everything comes from him. He is the source of everything that we have. In other words, everything that you and I have comes from him. You see, if we change our understanding... And realize that it's not about us and making it happen ourselves. I'm not saying that we're lazy because scripture is very clear that we need to work. We need to work hard and all those things. But God is our source. 
When we live with that same understanding that Jesus did and that his father can be trusted, his father is generous and there is more than enough, that's why he can say in the middle of the world that he lived in, don't worry about what you will wear, don't worry about what you will eat, don't worry about those things. God's got it. God provides. God's the one who is your source. He can be trusted. So we put our faith in him. See, that mindset and understanding of abundance and trust enables him to love generously, to live generously, to live sacrificially. Enables him to say things like, don't worry, but it also enables him to say things like, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Enables him to lay down his life for us in an incredibly generous gift given by God. And he invites us, his disciples, his followers, to live in that same place of trusting God, understanding that he is trustworthy and he is generous and he has enough. He's inviting us to live with that different view from what the world says. Because the world says it's not enough. There's not enough. You hold on to. You gain so that you can gain more, so that you can... But Jesus says, come, trust me, have faith in God, God's goodness, God's richness, God's love, God's abundance, and live from that point. You see, when we understand that, then we can live generously. And Jesus wasn't naive because he, he knew that it wasn't going to get easy. And him saying that doesn't mean that life's easy. I mean, he faced persecution, he faced betrayal, and he died on the cross. The abundant gift of God's grace. So he knows those things. But it didn't surprise him. It doesn't surprise him. We think, well, you're just being generous and you're going to be taken for a ride. God knew that. That's the whole point of grace. It's like he died so that his life was given free. So how do we reflect that and how, how we live? It's all part of the plan that he would come and die for us. He knows that we are deceived by the lie that there's not enough, God can't be trusted. But he came to break that. So that as we respond to him, we live with this new understanding made alive in him, found in the, through the blood of Jesus, accept that ultimate gift of God's generosity and live with a completely different perspective that God is trustworthy. God is generous. God is loving. God is a God of abundance. And he invites us into that kingdom. And that, even all of that, it's almost like that's, that's enough. But then he says, no, in the midst of all that I'm giving you even more, I'm giving you my Holy Spirit. So even in the midst of your abundant relationship with me now, I'm not leaving you alone. I've given you this Holy Spirit who will walk alongside you, who teaches us how to trust God more, how to live generously, how to love, how to reach others. Empowers and strengthens us. Look at John chapter 16, verse 26, speaks about the Holy Spirit. And you see, when we're saved and we have that revelation that we belong to a different kingdom, 
when we're saved and we have that revelation that it all belongs to God and God isn't withholding from us but has everything for us, when we start living with that, that He is trustworthy, that He is generous, then that transforms how we live and we look and we see opportunities to be generous to others. We look and we see that actually there are opportunities to be generous everywhere. Everywhere. With our time, our talents, our love, our, our finance, every single thing. You see, one of the most important ways that we can experience the abundance of God's creation is to share it with those who don't know. To take what he's given us and give it away. Rather than hold on to it, hoard it, abuse it, covet, and all those things. You see, when we look at the culture of generosity, it starts with God. And when we understand that, that he is generous abundantly generous and he has more than enough and he is trustworthy and we build our lives based and grounded in the truth that God is the one who is our source God is the one who is our provider God is the one who is our strength God then we can see that we can live with that same view Jesus did that actually don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear because God's got it Yes, we work hard and we do all the things and God provides but God, and God provides through many different ways. But when we're looking at this, we see actually it's not about me. I'm not the source. God is. And he is generous. And when we see that, then we can't do anything but be generous ourselves. So how does it work out? You see, the thing for me is like, Generous with our love is just a reflection of God. God loved us so we can love others. He first loved us, therefore we love others. God in His incredible generous love gave His Son. We've seen that. In His love He created all of us and to live in relationship with Him. So how do we reflect God's generosity in our love? Is not withholding who He is and who He's created us to be and not withholding our affection from others but actually living sacrificially. I mean, we could probably take a whole week on every single one of these things. But not withholding, I think when we live generously with our love, again, it's not a hippie kind of love. It's, it's that commitment of covenantal love with us and God. We don't withhold from Him, but we also don't withhold from each other. And we don't love because they've done this or they've done that. Because Jesus says, love your enemies. It really doesn't matter who people are, what they've done, where they're from, their status, their family. It really doesn't matter. The fact that they are human means that we love. That is a reflection of a generous God. So when... So like, if we use the example of currently what's going on in Ukraine, it's just an easy one to use. We, we don't say, okay, we're going to pray for the Ukrainians. But we're not praying for the Russians... Because they've done this. They're all human. They all need God. We need to pray for them all. Even Putin. He needs Jesus. And so our heart is one that actually, when I've received God's generous love, I cannot withhold generous love from others. And we give it away. We love others sacrificially. 
showing compassion and care, being present when you're with others. So it's not like, well, I'm here in body, but I'm somewhere else. It's present. Being generous with our time. Creating space. You see, I'm challenged by Jesus' words that we read in Luke. Not just the fact that we mustn't worry about other things, but Jesus never seems to be too busy for people. And you know where it says there, consider the ravens or consider the lilies? You know what the word actually is? It's ponder. Ponder requires what? You stop. Ponder the goodness of God. Sit. You see, I think sometimes think when, if we're going to live generously with our time and our affection and our, everything that God gives us, we need to take control of our diaries so that we actually can stop and ponder God. Not emptying your mind of everything, that doesn't help anybody. Fill your mind with the word. Ponder him. Consider him. Consider his creation. If you doubt God's provision, just go for a walk in the fields. And you'll see how incredibly God has created the world with everything in it. And then remember that you're more important than, like the scripture says, those beautiful flowers or the birds or the animals. You're more important. And God's got, got you in his hand. So when we to be generous with our time means we actually need to be present. We need to stop. We need to actually give people time. But it requires a sacrifice, a sacrifice of self. There's so much about in the world that speaks about time management and everything else. And the focus of every single one of those is what? Yourself. Me. My. Books. Books. Countless books. Podcasts. Seminars, TED Talks, whatever you, so many on building margin, creating space. And it's all about so what? So I can experience me. It's all me focused, which is totally opposite what God says. So, I mean, there might be some good tips in those. But remember, our focus is on Him. And our lives are are laid out and poured out generously for others. If we try and hold on to it, our life, our time, our everything, we're working against how God has created us to be, which is to give it away. It's not about self-preservation. It's about self-sacrifice. Following Jesus' example. And he says that we to be generous and have an open heart, open home, generous with our abilities, with what God's created. We looked at all of those things a while ago of gifts and natural talents as well as spiritual gifts and all of that stuff. Be generous with that. Look for opportunities. You can use that to encourage, bless others. You see, with the attitude that it doesn't matter if I give it away. It doesn't matter if I use what I've, God's given me because he'll just pour more. Because he's the source, not me. Even your natural talent and ability, you're not the source of that. God's the source. He's entrusted it with you with it. So use it for his glory. Use it generously. Our belonging, sometimes I think we need to be a little bit less protective about what we think is ours. 
Yes, we need to be... You see, here's the thing. Sometimes people say, well, that's mine. I'm going to protect it and I'm, because I need to be a good custodian of it. Well, yes. But if we all approach life with being, I'm going to respect what is yours and you're going to respect what is mine and I'm going to hold it very lightly, then it doesn't matter. In the end of the day, it's just stuff. And it's not going to go to heaven with you. It's just stuff. So we honor others and not abuse what they have and don't break things. And, but not to the expense of being generous and showing God's love. See, sometimes, I mean, I need to put in my time. Uh, I, I, I had an aunt. Um, I have got others. But I had an aunt who was very proper. Very, very proper. And you always knew, whenever you went to her house, everything was... Uh, my, she's a lot older than me. Well, she's, she's a lot older than my mum. She's like, she's like 23 years older than my mum. So she's more like my grandma, but another story. She, I knew that whenever we went to their house, everything was prim and proper, and you didn't dare step out of line. Well, that was my perception. Yvonne's much younger. She might have got away with it. But she, was, she, she, taught, she taught teachers. Her husband was the head of education and everything else. And everything... I mean, this gives you the idea. On, when she went into... When she was pretty sick and dying, in hospital, she was still wearing a twin set and pearls. Hair was still set. That's kind of... That's how it is. I knew that I could never really relax when I went to her house. It was far better to go play in the garden and not be anywhere near the house because everything, she's a lovely lady and she knew Jesus, but everything was just, it was, that was right, this is right, everything had its place, everything was valued, everything was important. It's like you knew you couldn't relax. Certainly as a boy growing up. And then I had another aunt, her sister, who lived in a farm where everything, you could just do anything. It was like chalk and cheese. And you knew there you could run through the house with muddy feet and you wouldn't get into trouble because that's how it was. Far easier to relax there and experience, uh, and both provided beautifully, both gave you lots of really nice food and everything else, but that one was far more enjoyable. See, so, so often we can hold on to what we have, and we think we're being generous, but in our, in our caution and our tight-fistedness, our generosity is actually restrictive rather than liberating. And so I'd encourage you, as we've spoken of before, open your heart, open your home. This place, open, our hearts and home is open for others, not protective, but saying, what is mine is yours, don't worry. You see, God gave us the whole world with his generous love. How do we reflect him? Not by being stingy and putting boxes around and not this area, not, it's, here we go, what's mine is yours. That's how we live generously, and if we all live with that attitude, we won't abuse others. And finally, I do need to get onto this, and it is late, but finally in our finance. Now, I could do another whole series on finance, but I want to put it in this context of God's generosity. Because it is a key part. You see, the Bible doesn't tell us that money or wealth are wrong. What it tells us is that the problem is, fallen man, how we deal with money and wealth. Where it becomes a god or an idol. You see, the problem is, it's the same with authority. Authority is not bad. We see it in scripture, clear. Leadership's not bad. 
All those things are good. But you put those in the hands of fallen man who don't know God, it's dangerous. And we chuck out the whole thing because of that. Not understanding that actually that's fallen man. That's not right. This is the biblical way. And finance is the same thing. We think finance, well, that, that's there and it's evil. And others think, well, it's not. Well, actually, it's our heart attitude. It's the attitude of our heart and what we do with it. And the, and the Bible gives us principles for dealing with finance. And they're things like tithing, um, being generous, and gifts for the poor, uh, gifts apostolically where it goes beyond this region into other regions for the advancement of the kingdom. We see that with the Macedonians and those kind of guys. And, and, and there's just giving anonymously, so no one, your right hand doesn't know what your left hand. And so there are all these different things. And they're principles of the word that we can live a biblical way so that money doesn't grab a hold of our hearts. But we hold it loosely because it's his. And so I want to just tackle a few. And the first is that, that of tithing. A tithe is a 10%. So what we see in scripture, it's a principle that is there. And it goes way back because before the law even came into place, Jacob, uh, Abraham and Jacob both gave a tenth to God through, uh, in, in giving. And that's before the law. Then God speaks through and uses that demonstration for us of the nation of Israel and he gives them the law and part of the law was the law of tithing. And that whole thing was so that that's how they related to God. Man related to God through the, obeying the law. Through the sacrifices, through the Ten Commandments, through all those laws, that's their process. The sacrificial old covenant law is how man related to God. And part of that was tithing. And when man withheld their tithe, that's why Malachi says that they were robbing God because it was part of the law. Then what we see is since Jesus, Jesus came and fulfilled the law and we no longer under law but we're under grace. And so we no longer relate to God based on what we do but based on who we are in Jesus, what he has done. And so our relationship with God is now not based on us following all these laws, but it's based on the person of Jesus, his death on the cross, and our salvation through him. So it's no longer a legal requirement in order to relate to God to follow the ways of the law. And so what about tithe then? Does that mean we just throw that out? Well, in Matthew 23:23, when Jesus could have corrected that, he chooses and thrown it out. He actually chooses to go to the heart of man. And I'd say this: apart from the fact that the tenth was given before the law, 430 years before Abraham and Jacob, what we also see is it was part of the law, but Jesus came and gave us salvation through grace. And then Jesus teaches that actually we go beyond. So any other part of the law, do we look, you see this is where it's interesting because finance always tackles the heart. Do you look at part of the Old Testament law that says do not murder and you think, well, I'm now under grace, I can. (laughs) Do we? No way. Under the law you can't lie, you must honor your mother and father, don't have to do that anymore. I'm under grace. So why is it that we seem to have that attitude with finance? You see, Jesus takes the things that were expected under the law and takes them to another level. 
If you read the preach where he speaks on the Sermon on the Mount of, of, it says no longer murder. He says, but if you're angry, it's the same. It's like, hang on. We so often read grace and we think, okay, I can do this. We try and get away with the minimal. When actual fact, Jesus is saying grace lifts the bar to something that we can't attain. But that's the amazing thing about grace, that we have Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit, and we can live in that. And so if we apply that principle to every, every area of life, then we see that we need Jesus, his empowering of the Holy Spirit, and that which was of the law is the minimal. And so, no, we don't tithe in order to relate to God. Just like you don't not lie in order to relate to have access to God because you're not under law, you're under grace. But if we had to take what was... So, so, so let's use this analogy of the tenth, and it's a percentage, so it's actually a percentage is the fairest thing. I think our taxes should be done like that. But anyway, our percentage... It, so it's not about the amount. It's an issue of the heart. And if under the law, 10% was what the law required... If under grace we then say, well, actually, I'm not even going to start with the 10. I'm only going to give five. What we're pretty much saying is this. It's a bit of a slap in the face for grace. Because if under the law I was giving 10, but under grace I'm giving five, the law is more powerful than grace. Wouldn't you say that with murder? With adultery? With? anything that was in the law yet somehow finance and that's why God deals with it so often it's because finance grips our heart it's the issue of the heart coming from the point of I haven't got enough, I can't trust God I need to hold but in actual fact when we understand what it means to live in the grace of God that principle should be the starting point as far as I'm concerned Otherwise, we're proving grace to be less powerful than the law. And yet everything about God, everything about our relationship with Jesus, is that grace enables us to say no to ungodliness. Grace enables us to live according to how God would have us live. And so when we understand that, actually you can apply that to any area of our lives with generosity. Understanding that we don't do these things in order to gain acceptance to God, but because of who he is and the grace of God, we can live abundantly because we trust him as the source. We trust him as the one. And so there are areas of where it says, give, give to the poor. Give to, and it speaks about the Macedonians, I think it's in 2 Corinthians, that they gave out of their poverty and extreme poverty. They gave as much as they could and even more. Understanding that it was, they weren't the source. God was the source. And our generosity in every single area comes from that point of, I'm not the source. You're not the source. In actual fact, if you were and I was, we shouldn't be trusted. But God is. And He is to be trusted. And He has more than enough. It's what we do with His abundance that actually impacts the world. It's what we do with that abundance that shows our understanding and our relationship with him. That we live in that place of grace. And when we understand and live in the knowledge that we are part of his kingdom, 
that he is the provider, he is the source, then we see opportunities to be generous everywhere. And we reflect a generous God with our time, our finance, our love, our belongings, our talents, every single area of life reflecting a generous God because we found in him. Salvation is God's lavish, generous, lavishly generous gift of grace. And when we respond to that, we have no option but to live in the same way and enjoy his goodness. Look for opportunities. Just do what he tells you to do and trust him. When he says give it away, trust him because he'll give more. We don't hold so that we build up. My dad, we grew up, my dad had the saying that he was going to try and outgive God. And that's how we grew up. So that's just for me, that was normal living. And you can never outgive God. But the point is, the more you reflect God by being generous, the more God protects and provides. We didn't have a huge amount, but we never lacked. Well, because God knows. Fields of the, flowers of the field, birds of the air, you're more important. God's got you. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this incredible, lavish gift of your love, which is your son. This morning, Lord, as we've looked at that, I pray that our hearts would be gripped by that. And we would live in the fullness of that, that we would not withhold. Lord, I pray that we'd be those who would live with the understanding that you are trustworthy. We trust you. You will provide that we do not need to be anxious. We need to worry about these things because you're in control. Lord, if we need to stop and give time and all these adjustments we might need to make, Father God, our pursuit is you. Our focus is you. Our starting point is you. Our source. Not the world not of what we say, what we think, but you, Jesus. And God, I pray that by your Spirit you'd convict each one of us that we would be those who would live according to your way, according to your purpose, and according to your pattern. That of a generous, generous God with more than enough. In Jesus' name. Amen. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Oh, I've forgotten. Communion.